This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Bitheads. They are a staple in the tech community I come from and have done incredible work over the past 18 years with some of the largest brands in the world, including The Simpsons, Tapped Out, Box, Optimal Payments, The New York Times, among many, many, many others. All told, they've built over 500 solutions from enterprise to entertainment. I'm proud to have them as a part of Untether.tv. Please support us by supporting them. Go to bitheads.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Untether.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. Today, today, this very day, what you're about to listen to is amazing. Why? Because it's another Canadian company, not just a Canadian company, but a company from my hometown, Ottawa, in a very unique space for this city. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Len McEachern, who is the co-founder, the president, and the CEO, chief bottle washer, everything you can imagine that goes into a startup. The company's name is Gesture Logic. Uh, they're developing an intelligent wearable fitness technology, which you all know that I love this stuff, uh, that directly monitors muscle and other anatomic activity. Uh, their technology, they're pleading with us to not use these devices because their technology uh, actually measures true muscle output. We will ask uh, him about what that means. Um, this is what they consider the next generation of wearable fitness technology. Len himself is the, as I said, the everything for this company. He's got a good team that's a growing team. Uh, he's also an associate professor at Carleton University, which I actually went to Carleton University for one year in the journalism program way, way, way long, long time ago. Uh, and as I said, he is from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, my hometown, which is where we caught up with him right now. Len, thank you for coming on to Untether.tv and sharing this great story about Gesture Logic and your first project, and I guess it's your first product, Leo, right? That's right. Rob, that was an amazing introduction. Thank you very much. And I didn't mess it up. That, folks, was one take, except for the take uh, before. A single take. A single um, take. Uh, after the 10th take. Exactly. We have to be you, know what? It's, you know what? The 11th is always, the 13th is the best, usually what I find. Yeah, that's yeah, good, good humor. For people watching this, it's Friday the 13th, so. It is. Forgive yes. us. And there's going to be stuff that happens. I'm pretty sure of it. Right. All right. Tell me what you mean by true muscle output. Why is your product better than this thing that I'm wearing on my wrist? Well, first of all, let's not identify that thing. Because that thing, <laughs> that thing is still useful. It's, okay. It's not, a, it's not a horrible device. It's not. I don't know what Unless that it leaves is. a rash on your arm. Right. So right. That, you might have just identified it. But uh, it's a motivational product. It gets you off the couch. It counts steps or it counts some sort of motion. Yes. It has a little chip inside of it called an accelerometer. And that little chip uh, detects when your wrist moves. It doesn't <laughs> help you very much when you're doing pull-ups or push-ups or cycling, though. Because mm -hmm. your, wrist is, your wrist is fairly stationary, stationary. relative to your body, right? I just took a sip of my coffee. That must have taken, that considers a step, right? Yeah. We, we've, step uh, in the right direction. Exactly. So it's a motivational product. Yes. Our product is also a motivational product, but it goes well beyond what that product can do. And the reason is it actually measures signals that your body produces, which sounds uh, very science fiction-y, but it's true. When you contract a muscle, you actually produce tiny voltages. And just to ballpark it, those voltages are on the order of one millionth of your wall voltage, let's say. But nevertheless, you can still detect them. And once you detect them, you can process them and do all kinds of amazing things with the signals. 
Well, I mean, because what 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 it does is ultimately, like I, I, on your website, it talks about it measures uh, muscle intensity, muscle fatigue, something that I have a hard time with, which is coordination, muscle coordination, hydration. Uh, it does, you know, it basically analyzes your technique. It looks at how efficient you are in using your your uh, I don't know uh, how efficient your muscle is being used, and also it it measures the buildup of lactic acid or the depletion of lactic acid. That's right. Holy cow! Sounds like. It sounds like a Star Trek uh, tricorder. No kidding. This way, but actually, the the uh, mechanisms we're using are, are based in science that's uh, decades old. Like we didn't even invent the fundamental science here. We're consumerizing it. So, in the case of lactic acid measurements, for example, we're measuring something called an EMG signal. It's an electromyographical signal. That's the signal that your muscles produce when they contract. If you take that signal and you process it, and you look at the uh, the frequencies within the signal and the amplitude over time of that signal, you can get a pretty good estimation of where you're sitting with respect to your lactic acid threshold, whether you're in a recovery mode or, or approaching the, lat, uh, thre- the lactic acid threshold or not. Nope. That's an example. Uh, as far as fiber contractions go, the more that you contract the muscle, the more fibers are contracted, the stronger the signal. So we can give you an estimate of how strongly you're contracting the muscle over the course of your exercise. Hydration, we do that very similar to what your body fat scale uh, does. We inject a very, very low current signal into the body. Sounds scary, but if, if you use a body fat analyzer, you're doing the same thing. And from that, we can get uh, a measurement called bioimpedance, and from that, we can get your hydration level. And we also have an accelerometer on board on our product, uh, and from that, we can get stride and gait analysis. We can tell if you're pedaling efficiently. If you're running efficiently, we can do things that all the current generation activity trackers do, like count steps, of course. But on top of this, we have the rich biosignal data that we're collecting and processing. It sounds it sounds too good to be true. Now, this is a band-like product, right? So it's not like it's not something that I wear on my wrist. I wear it up on my thigh, for example. Where is that the place where I would wear this? Yeah, I guess we should describe what yeah. this product looks like. I jumped right into the whole, you know, technology, which is what we do, anyways. Yeah. But so this is the technology and the description of processing signals. That's how it does it. But yeah. let's so let's talk a little bit about why why we're doing this. So um, out of the gate, we're going after cyclists and runners as our first customers. If you think about cycling and running, you use your legs a lot. Some of us do. <laughs> makes it makes sense, right? So if you think about current generation activity trackers, they're focused on the wrist. Right. They call, they call that wrist real estate. Yep. And realistically, people are running out of wrist real estate. You have your watch. Perhaps shortly you'll have your smart watch, uh, which will have a built-in activity tracker of the type that we're accustomed to now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not too much you can buy to track other portions of the body. So we're looking at the thigh out of the gate. So why, the, why the thigh? Like uh, you, you know, because I know Nike has their uh, their run tracker that goes on the shoe, right, or in the shoe. Right. Is there is there you know when you were trying to figure out where to put this, what what went into that decision? Right. So if you think about the prime movers in your body for any sport, yeah. you're looking at your quadriceps, you're looking at your glutes, you're looking at your hamstrings. Those right. are your big big muscles for virtually any sport. Yep. That's why we went after the thigh, including Cycles. the sport of sitting. Uh, well, you know what? We can see this product being used to motivate people not to sit so much. By, by electric current? Is that what? Zzz, get up, get up, zzz, get up, get up, get up. Future product. I'll write that down, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the thigh muscles make a lot of sense. Uh, there's a rich, uh, rich collection of muscles in the leg. 
different distributions of fiber types. Uh, in case your viewers aren't aware, you actually have several types of muscle fiber. Some of those fibers, uh, they're called type 1, they're used for endurance. Mm -hmm. And others are used for rapid, powerful motions. Those are your type 2 fibers. So depending on the exact muscle in the leg that you're looking at, you have more of uh, type 2 and less of type 1 and vice versa. So we get a lot of information just by monitoring specific muscles in the leg as well. That's based on the sport you do, like sprinters and, uh, and long-distance runners would have different makeups, different fiber, different makeup of fiber? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. When you focus on a particular sport, your muscle morphology changes over time. And you'll actually, you can actually turn your type 2 fibers, your power fibers, into type 1, your endurance fibers. And it even gets crazier as you age. Once you hit about age 40, you naturally start to convert your power fibers into uh, type 1 fibers, endurance mm. fibers. Yes, because yeah. it gets harder after 40. Trust me. <laughs> well, that's why you see a lot of endurance athletes that do very, very well are, you know, in their 40s and 50s. Right. Yeah, they have a high percentage of type 1 fibers. That's so cool. I had no idea about that. See, you learn stuff here. At least I yeah. do. Anyways, maybe you don't, Len. You're going to be bored as hell. Um, no, I'm, I'm learning as I go with this, <laughs> this company. It's, uh, it's amazing. We've, we've grown the team. Uh, we have people on board. We have one, um, one consultant on board. She has two PhDs. She has a PhD in uh, human kinesiology and another one in human neurophysiology. And she's uh, leading our, our testing on lactic acid, uh, working on the protocol for that, developing the algorithms to tell you what your lactic acid is based on EMG measurements. We have a biochemistry intern. He's uh, just getting into his master's, but he talks like a PhD. My background is electrical engineering, so this is a, this is a new field for me, of course, biochemistry, but I'm picking it up, as are, as are all of us. Uh, we have a uh, machine intelligence expert. His PhD was on human motion analysis using machine intelligence techniques. He's developing the algorithms to do activity recognition, which is a whole other subject. Uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. But how does, there's so many questions around that, the team makeup, the, the stuff that you're trying to bite off this and build inside of this product. And we're going to talk about this as, as much as we can in the time we have. And even this kind of hardware software, because the, the data comes from the hardware, which you wrap around your leg. And the software is, resides on the smartphone, which then computates, uh, you know, and, and analyzes what it is that's going on on the thing on your leg. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, take a step, one step back is that, like, why... What made you decide you're not from this field, right? What made you decide to look at this and think, like, was it that the stuff out there is, is not adequate? What was it the trigger that made you move into this and start Gesture Logic? Mm. Well, this goes back quite a few years. I wasn't always the handsome devil before you now. I was a pretty hefty guy. I was tipping the scales around 300 pounds. Wow. Back. How tall are you? How tall are you? 5'11". So, so what was that? Was just that, that just inactivity that you that you just you were just a, a, a brain as opposed to uh, brawn? That's what a PhD can do to a body. It does, right? I, I remember staying pulling all nighters and drinking Mountain Dew all night. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know it catches up to you. Uh, then my daughter was born. I decided to get healthy. That was back in two thousand and six. So I went from when I got serious about it, I was probably two hundred and fifty-seven pounds. I remember started tracking everything using a polar heart rate monitor at the mm -hmm. time, tracking calories, being an engineer, I made a spreadsheet and I had everything figured out. And you know what? It worked very well. I could track day to day what I expect to lose and week to week. 
and I did it. I lost 140 pounds in a very short time. About what was that? That was a combination of, sorry, six or seven months you lost that? Six or seven months, yeah. And was that a combination of ex actually exercising and diet, or what was what, what went into that? I'm just fascinated. Yep, so I did a, a very low-calorie diet. Like how low? How low? Oh, 1,200 to 1,700 <sighs> calories a day. Now, some people say that's not healthy, but you know what? When you have 100 pounds of fat to lose, your body can, uh, can easily give you those calories from, the, from its fat storage. So I didn't have any problems. Uh, people who, who watched this, they thought I was melting, and I felt like I was melting. Like I literally was uh, changing pant sizes every time I turned around. So it was great. I lost the weight, um, got very healthy. My cardio was amazing. I could run, you know, I could get up in the morning and run for 90 minutes at a stretch, no problem at all. Uh, but the problem was I got a little bit too light, I found, and I decided to lift weights. Mm. And when I started, started lifting weights, I realized the uh, calorie counting wasn't working anymore. Like I could never tell which way my weight was going. I didn't know if I was putting muscle on or if it was fat because I started eating more, of course. Yes. Try, try to put some weight on. I took a look around and I, um, I was looking for some sort of a product that would measure muscle. And that's when I got into electromyography. So that was about 2007 or so. And at that time, the type of products out there are for clinicians and researchers. So you're looking at products, like the most fundamental product is about $5,000. Yeah. But realistically, you're looking at 15000 and up for these products because they're sold to university researchers and clinicians. And you see and those soft, kind of things, right, where, where people are, uh, you know, nodes are attached to every muscle uh, uh, on somebody's body or they're running on a treadmill with an oxygen, uh, you know, tube in their mouth uh, to, to measure all this stuff. Is that the kind of machine we're talking about? No, that, that would be typically for VO2 max measurements okay. Okay. Yeah, or, or lactic acid measurements. This type of machine, uh, if you've ever gone for something called a nerve conduction study. Nope. No, should I? Is it fun? It doesn't no, sound like fun. I, I've gone for two so far. Yeah, they, they zap you and they measure the, the nerve conduction velocity and wow. they check neuropathies <laughs> and so on. But uh, that's more along the, the lines of the type of machine I'm talking okay. about. Now, major sports teams will use these machines. Sure. Um, bicycle fitters will actually use these machines to help optimize the fit of your cycle if you're very high end. So there's a torp sort of technology has been out there, just not at the consumer level. Okay. Uh, it's not too many people are going to rush out and buy a fifteen thousand dollar piece of equipment no. with software that they can't comprehend. By the way, the software is is uh, you'd have to be a PhD in kinesiology sometimes to use the software. So that's where the the germ of the idea came from. You wanted to and, emulate that, but in a consumer version. Well, first I was just fascinated with the concept of measuring muscle activity. Okay. So we built some circuits at Carleton and uh, we did that. You could were, display you the, were you the guinea pig there? Did you strap yourself into something that sent a current through your body? Oh, well, we don't send a current through the body to measure the body's signals. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a passive sensor actually. All right. So your body produces the voltage and you pick it up. Okay. It's the other way around. The yeah. The challenges are to, to get a low noise circuit uh, that can accept these very, very small uh, voltages and amplify them up so that you can see them. So that was stage one. Stage two was figuring out what to do with those signals. So we did all kinds of interesting things. We controlled slideshows with the signals, for example. We actually mounted the electrodes on, on, let's say, on your wrist, sorry, on your forearm, actually. And then you could wave your hand around and change the slideshow. So I, I had some project students who did that for their final year project, project presentation. They were changing the slideshow by uh, using the, 
EMG signals. What was it like? Like a Minority Report kind of uh, technology uh, that you know where you, you you could move things around or you could you, you know it took a current and it and it uh, changed. What was what was the goal there? Did you think that this could be used for something or was this just just testing? Well, that sort of thing can be used for human computer interfaces right. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But my interest was still fitness. Okay. And the, the people that uh, were attracted to the product were also interested in fitness. At that time, of course, it wasn't a product. It was a project. Mm -hmm. And um, over time, we realized wearable technology is certainly taking off. Uh, a huge component of why that's happening is the availability of smartphones. When you think about it, a smartphone is the equivalent of a supercomputer from a yes. few years back. It's got billions of dollars worth of research invested into it. It has a display, it has a magnificent processor inside of it. It can handle some significant signal processing. So it's, here, we, here we have this little supercomputer in our pockets. What can we do with it? Well, one thing to do with it is to interface it with um, data collection hardware. So the wearable tech is really the data collection hardware. And a smartphone is, is the little computer doing something intelligent with that. You know, I wanted to bring up the history of what you guys were doing here, simply for one reason, because a lot of a lot of uh, people that I interview uh, and come to me and ask me about the interviews that I've done, they say, "Listen, you know, this is just a trend, and people are getting on this bandwagon of wearable technology because it seems cool right now." But I wanted to demonstrate that in you know, you've been thinking about this since 2006. You started implementing in 2007. This is based on your own experience that you've has led you here, and here we are, 2014 seven or eight years after the idea popped into your head or the start of the idea where you're starting to implement that. And I think that that is more indicative or more, uh, you know, yeah, probably indicative of the industry today. This has been gestating for this long to be able to wait for the technology like these or the components that you put into the device that you're going to wear on your leg uh, to actually get them to the point where they're actually doable so that you can carry this around with you and, and use it and, and uh, have enough computing power, portable computing power to be able to do it. Do you think that that's, that's, that that's probably accurate, isn't it? That this is just the right time eight years after you thought of the idea? I don't know if exactly eight years is the right time, but you know what? <laughs> no, you, yeah. you, you're right in everything you said. And also, wearable technology is just a small sliver of a, of a bigger vision, which is the Internet of Things. Right, right. So the Internet of Things is going to be huge. It's, it's going to keep expanding throughout our entire lifetime. I think it's think amazing. It. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, so now that you've you, you flash forward, uh, so you go to you're, you're a uh, uh, professor at the Carl, uh, Carleton University. You um, when did this really become? When was Just Your Logic born? Shall we say? When did you take this role, take the founder role, the CEO role, and and run with the company? Mm. It was August last year. That's okay. when we incorporated. But we've been working on it steady since 2012, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I did this as a fourth year project with some students and they did very very well we won all kinds of awards across Ontario Love that. and then there was a, a true angel uh, donated forty thousand dollars to us to attempt to commercialize the project into a product yeah so he really got us started we went through Carleton University's uh, lead to win program mm -hmm. uh, that's for budding entrepreneurs yes they give you, give you a, they critique your business plan they get you to give pitches, and if you get through the program, you get a so-called green card, 
and then you actually get a little bit of seed money as well to start up. So that's how we got going. It's funny though that I mean, th this is a a resource that uh, is it's fairly unique to the community in Ottawa because Tony Belletti runs Lead to Win out of Carleton University, right. and um, he he brings in seasoned veterans from the technology and the business uh, industry that we have in Ottawa, and he brings those guys in to sit in front of you and you defend your business, don't you? Right. It was uh, when I look back, it's a little bit hilarious. Uh, <laughs> the, the first presentation we gave. Now that I understand everything a little bit better, yeah. it had a science fair feel to it. You know, it was like <laughs> very academic, very science fairish, and uh, you know we just didn't have that mindset. But I can tell you, we've we've um, learned very quickly yes. what it takes. So now when we give a pitch or a presentation, it's business focused. Of course, the science is there, but the business is there as well. It has to be, and and uh, you know, thinking back, even uh, the angel, uh, forty thousand dollars. Did you think that was a lot of money back then? Like we can do this, or uh, you know, and in hindsight, what do you think of forty thousand dollars now when you've got a team? How big is your team? Fifteen people. We have eleven full time yeah. people yeah. paid. We have uh, five interns now, also paid through grants. Yeah. Um, grants, by the way, have been very helpful to us, and very helpful to these people as well because they're getting good experience. In a, so, cool, yeah, in a cool industry that Ottawa does not have a lot of, so that's why I'm so excited about it. But that forty grand, if you think back to it, uh, it might have seemed like the like the launching point, but uh, but you know a couple of years later, that forty grand, uh, not enough to, to to get a product out the door of this no. stature. Well, yeah, forty grand doesn't last us very long now. But even back then, we we recognized I've I've done hardware design before, and this is a hardware slash software company. Mm -hmm. So hardware design can get very expensive actually yeah. so talk about that um, you know as you're that that dichotomy the split between hardware and software right mm -hmm. because it is two companies and uh, you know I talk a lot with uh, you know uh, wearable companies it is two companies right that you're talking about you're talking about building a hardware product manufacturing and designing a hardware product and then and then now that you've done that, and it's collecting data points. You 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 need a piece of software, and that's a different business. How how do you yep. balance that? It's even worse. It's it's more like three companies. Nice. So we have we have the hardware, <laughs> which is what goes on the body. That's the wearable tech portion. Yep. We have the software that includes communications between that product that goes on your body and the smartphone. Mm -hmm. It includes the software, the embedded software running within the band in this case, and also the software that's running on the smartphone, the app. And by the way, it's not just smartphones. It could be a smartwatch, Google Glass, a PC, and so on. We have it running on different platforms already. But then uh, something we haven't discussed yet, which is probably the most interesting part of this entire product and company, is what's happening in the cloud, in the cloud server. Because all of this data is actually uh, going to be used to crowdsource fitness. That's what we like to call it. Explain that. So... Let me tell you it through a story. All right. Imagine we have 10,000 people and they're all training for a marathon. So we're collecting biosignals from those 10,000 people. Over the course of the training period, some of them will get injured. And many injuries, especially for cycling and running, they're overuse injuries or they're improper technique injuries, bad form type injuries. Imagine we had a certain percentage of that population that had shin splints mm -hmm. or patella pain or hamstring pulse. Now the question is can we go back in time and look at their biosignals leading up to those injuries and look for commonalities in precipitating signals. In other words, could we detect that you're on the collision course with an injury? 
And the answer to that is yes. Amazing. Now, some of it is common sense, right? If you're running downhill on your toes seven days a week on concrete, you're going you're gonna to do something. You probably have knee pains or shin splints. We can actually detect you're running downhill with high impact and landing on whatever part of your foot, either the midsole, the toe, or the heel. So Leo is sitting there monitoring all these 10,000 people. Uh, Leo can actually detect a gait imbalance, so we can ask you if you have an injury. Otherwise, you could self-report it. Then Leo goes back two or three weeks or four weeks, however many weeks of data he has, and look for these precipitating factors and build a statistical analysis data set. And based on those population statistics, he can get a pretty good guess of what's going to happen to you if you continue training in the same way. Now, all of this is to say that is our third company. That is <laughs> Leo, Leo in the cloud collecting data, biosignal data, and analyzing it, and the machine intelligence required for that. So we're a hardware company, a software company, but also a software company in the terms of big data, data collection, and machine intelligence. So we're building our machine intelligence group now. Like I said, we have this amazing um, PhD in this area. Um, I know that we interviewed another person this morning who should be coming on board, and we'll continue growing that aspect of the business. So that that's amazing. So, you know, a lot of conversation around big data. Um, and, uh, you know, I talk about big data in terms of we're, we're spoiling big data, right? Because big data doesn't mean anything unless you have a clear idea of what it is that you want to extract from that big data and display, right? right? right. How, how did you guys... As you're going through this with Leo helps uh, with Leo, um, how is it that you you decide this? Is it you you think okay now we got this strapped onto the leg? Let's figure out what we can do with this data that we're collecting, and you start focusing immediately on uh, on preventative injury, right? Was that a hard thing to decide on, or is that no, a logical thing? You have to know me uh, better to understand. I'm a magnet for injury. Okay. Yeah. So so this is uh this product is self. Preservation for me. <laughs> I love it. It's basically your Kevlar, right? Uh, that's what you're yes. building. So I've had, uh, well, let's say I've been to the physiotherapist too many times, mostly through my own uh, ignorance in yep. some cases. Yep. You learn as you go, but overdoing it and an improper technique. So I've had muscle pulls, you know, I've had, uh, well, you name it, I've had it. Everything, right? Everything, yeah. And most of them could have been prevented. And once you learn what you're doing wrong, uh, you don't repeat it. So we're looking to help people prevent recurring injuries like shin splints. Mm -hmm. You know, you probably know people who go running, they start the season, and after a few weeks they have to stop because their shins are killing them. Yeah. So what what are they doing wrong? Yeah. They're running. That's the problem. They should just stop running. Well, they're they're probably running under the wrong conditions and not um and not doing the proper stretches beforehand and things like this or just overuse. Yeah. We can never stop an accident but we can stop injuries that are caused by the person to themselves. Right, right. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, I, I go to the gym and my my, my theory about uh, going to the gym is, listen, I, I'm going to go there and I'm going to spend an hour there and my goal is to go and find the heaviest, 
weights. I'm a lunkhead, right? Go and find the heaviest weights you can possibly find and lift it as many times as you can possibly lift them. And then I go home feeling good about myself. And, and, um, and you, you know, there's a point in time when I'm young, when I was younger, where that was the appropriate way to lift weights. And then when I would hurt myself, it'd be like, I'd just work through it. I'd strengthen the muscles around that pain and then I would build up that muscle and I'd continue. Now that I'm 44, I start to think a little bit differently about the way that my body is telling me to say, hey, dude, stop. Take today off. Don't go into the gym. We're telling you, this is these are alarm signals going on. Don't take the Advil. Just don't go into the gym today, right? So it's it's um, you start to appreciate as you get older, just like you did in your business world, right? Where you think it was a science fair uh, presentation, your first presentation, you mature over that point where now you're talking about the business aspects. The same thing with physical fitness is that you often, when you're younger, ignore those signs to your detriment. And I think that what you're trying to do is just bring those, uh, illuminate the athlete to the potential that if they continue down this path, there is going to be injury because you have all of this data behind you that supports that. What's interesting is depending on the, the person we talk to, they fixate on Leo's ability to prevent injury. Yeah. And yeah. typically those are people 35 and up <laughs> who, who, who tend to hurt themselves. Or they fixate on Leo's ability to increase their performance. Right. And he does both. He does both, right? Okay. How, does, how does he help that? How, how does he increase my performance? Well, let me give you an example from cycling. Yep. Uh, those people who are watching this who are cyclists, they probably know that they have to push with the quads and pull with the hamstrings to get an efficient stroke. Right. That's why people clip into their pedals. Yep. So, so they can pull. They can pull. Yep. It turns out that you actually want to push and pull at essentially the same time. That sounds impossible. Okay. I'm trying but to visualize think, this. Yes. Yeah. But there's a certain point in the stroke, the pedal stroke, where you can push with the quads and pull with the hamstrings at essentially the same time. Right. Okay. So I went, I went into the gym and I, I was wearing Leo and I measured my quadricep and hamstring activation over a few pedal strokes and I thought I was doing great. So I could see a definite quadricep activation or contraction and then hamstring contractions and they, they went in cycles. So there was quad, then ham, then quad, then ham. Mm-hmm. Then I had a local triathlete come in. He's a 20-year veteran of doing triathlons. Measured him, and I looked at the waveform, and I said, well, we must have did something wrong. I'll have to measure you again. Measured him again, same thing. Measured uh, many other triathletes and high-end uh, athletes since then, same thing. These people are able to contract both sets of muscles at the same time at the appropriate time. Wow. That gives them high efficiency. I also talked to the triathletes. I said, well, you know why, especially triathletes, they tend to pull with their hamstrings more than they push with the quads. So I asked them why, and the answer is is simple, but at the same time brilliant. They prefer to pull with the hamstrings and use that muscle, utilize the glycogen or the energy stores within the muscle for that 180 kilometer bike ride. So when they jump off that cycle and they start their run, their quads are fresh. They're using their quads more in their run. Wow. Very calculated. Wow. But in any case, Leo can help you by monitoring those muscle sets and ensuring that you're using the quads at the appropriate time with the appropriate pull strength versus, uh, sorry, the hamstrings at the appropriate time and appropriate pull strength versus the quads. That's just a simple example. It's amazing though. Because, uh, I mean, do you think that uh, it, this is done on purpose by these elite athletes, right? They, they know that they're doing this, right? This is, this is planned. It's planned, but they didn't have an appreciation for how good they are at it until they until they could see the waveforms of the signals. Yeah, yeah. we had uh, one athlete when he saw the waveforms, and it really clicked with him what we were doing at that point. 
he instantly volunteered to us his uh, Velotron cycling training system. This is an $8,000 piece of gear. So he's donated that to us while we developed the product. God, I love it. That, that's how much he's... Um, He's amazing. He's, anxi he's anxious for us to get it to market. But you know, I think that that has a lot to do with uh, you know these the evolution of the athlete, right? So uh, we've seen this from the early days of professional athletes and and what they wore, right? So when you start to see the old, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm from the '70s. I was born in the '70s, anyways, and and a product of the '80s. And so I watched all these Olympic games and the elite athletes that go through the summer and winter Olympic games, and uh, and you know what they used to wear, clothes wise when they compete when they were competing is doesn't look anything like what they wear today so i think i'm getting to a point is that when you when you watch the evolution of the athlete it, it started off with uh you know the performance enhancing drugs right which was prevalent in the 70s and 80s until they cracked down on until ben johnson got caught great canadian ben johnson um and then, uh, so performance enhancing drugs disappeared. And then they started getting into this super lycra, you know, the spandex suits, right? Where you, it was just shaving off, you know, fractions of a second because no body hair could get exposed to slow you down, right? So you see the swimmers now with those suits that are just inhumane, inhumane, right? Where they're jammed up in it. Same with cyclists. And, and so now that they've, they've basically gone down to bare skin and, uh, and no friction, uh, now they have to start. To, now I think that we're emerging into this technology realm, which is okay. So now what's going on inside my body? How do I create efficiencies in my muscles, which is the coolest thing? So that exactly that I'm done my cycle and my quads aren't tired from my my marathon that I have to run right now. Um, yeah. Is that is that a is that a good fair assessment of the continuum for these elite athletes? Sure, but we can actually go back to the 70s and look what Polar did with heart rate training. Oh, so Polar did something similar to what we're doing. They took a ECG machine or EKG machine out of the clinician's office and they strapped it onto the human. It was they made it mobile. Yeah. And they had to go through an educational phase for the population and they had to teach people the value of heart rate training. And I think everybody now accepts that heart rate training is, is important. Yeah, so we're doing a very similar thing. Uh, we're taking a device out of the clinician's office and we're making it mobile and making it useful for the for the average Joe but also the high end athletes. In the same way that you use heart rate as an indicator of health, and from heart rate and heart rate variability, you can you can get a good guesstimate of your VO2 max and other other important metrics of uh, ability. We can do the same thing with an EMG signal. I, have, I love this. You know, I, I I just I can't get it out of my mind. Is that I want this right? And and I, I can just picture you know the elite athlete. Now, instead of strapped up with diodes and tubes and stuff into a big machine on a treadmill running in a lab, is that I've got something like Leo around my leg. I've got some kind of uh, monitor around my wrist, and I've got my heart rate monitor around my heart. And and um, and these are all training tools for elite athletes, but not just elite guys. Like they they are for the average guy like me as well, because we talk about this the idea of of signals, right? Is that at some point, there's got to be something that tells me that, uh, you know, that um, I, I've got clogged arteries and I stop running at this moment or else you're going to keel over and have a heart attack. In fact, get in a cab and take yourself to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Are we at that point? Well, we're not at that point yet. But uh, one interesting thing you mentioned was wearing Leo and then also a heart rate monitor yeah. on your chest. Yeah. Leo can actually measure your heart rate at your thigh. Just because it's a big muscle? Well, we're your heart signal the ECG signal actually propagates all throughout your body. Mm -hmm. But normally to get a, a, a true ECG waveform, you know, you need 7 or 12 leads and it has to be taken across body and so on. 
So we're getting a heart rate at the thigh. We've actually filed for patent on this, uh, this technique. We're able to extract the, the heart rate from the EMG signal itself. Very cool technology we came up with as, as part of our R&D process. Was it by so, accident or was it on purpose? Oh, it was definitely on purpose because okay. we've talked to uh, to runners especially. They they don't like wearing heart rate monitors. They slide down your body. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're down around your ankles. So we're uh, we're, we're Wait, I'm dead. What? I'm dead. No heart. Yeah. Yeah. Bad joke. Okay, so this this sounds like the ideal product, um, especially for elite athletes, for for weekend warriors, for guys like me. I mean, I don't run a lot. Uh, I don't run great distances, but I, you know, I've, in in my forties, I started to do this recently, and um, because of heart health. Uh, but I, I got some questions around how you're going to do this. Small team. Auto Ontario, um, you know, how much, do you have an idea how much this product's going to cost when it goes to market? Sure. Actually, we're going to market very soon on Indiegogo. That's a Sweet. crowdsourcing platform. Yes. Yeah, so that, it's looking like the week of June. Uh, introductory price, which will be a fraction of the retail price, uh, we're looking at 179 or $180 wow. at the start of the campaign. That's our early bird special. And then it'll ramp up throughout the campaign. Uh, it's probably going to come into retail around two fifty. Okay, around that type of price. So we want to make this. Go ahead. Sorry, we, we want to make this a mass consumer item. We don't want to price it so it's only for elite athletes. Right. Well, and I think that that's a good price point. I think that you you're in that in that right spot, especially for the value that it provides. But I mean, how do you how do you market this? Like, first of all, the name. Like, you named it Leo for a reason, right? We personify the device. If you look at other devices out there, like Fitbit, Fuel Band, mm -hmm. those sorts of devices, they have sporty sounding names. Mm -hmm. um, we actually hired a great marketing firm out of Toronto, Immersion Media. Okay. And um, they convinced us, why don't you make this a personified device? And then we started thinking about it. That makes a lot of sense because that's the direction we want the device to take anyway. Now, the name Leo is not related to my name. Uh, they pitched it to us as. Um, well, we're a company based on fundamental solid science. Yeah. And they looked through history and they saw Leonardo da Vinci, also a visionary, uh, fundamental science. So the name Leo was proposed and it stuck very quickly. Well, it's, um, I just find it odd saying that I'm wearing Leo. Just, you know, I'm just putting Leo around my leg. I'm just, you know, is there going to be a, you know, like but, a... Leo is the whole system. Leo is the intelligence. We have our uh, tagline is fitness intelligence. Yep. Intelligence meaning two things, meaning uh, acquisition of knowledge and use of that knowledge, but also meaning signal gathering and reporting, almost like military intelligence. So we have that fitness intelligence aspect to Leo. So Leo sits in the cloud and on your smartphone and in, within the band. He's everywhere. God, love it. He's, he's the all-seeing being, Leo. Uh, he's the... Oracle of Exercise. Oracle of Exercise. That's how this is going to be. This, I'm going to write that down. This is the name of the uh, episode. What? Um, uh, talk about the the like. How are you going to market this? Right? Because this is the Indiegogo is one thing, and and you know you're gonna you're gonna kick the crap out of Indiegogo. You're going to be able to. This is something that is going to be in demand because it's a, such a great product, and there's a there's a good enough market that will will buy this at that price rate price point. But how how are you going to market this? How do you get this into uh, into you know, other people's homes that aren't connected to Indiegogo. It's a big challenge. Right. Very interesting challenge. But yes. we have one thing in our favor. Cyclists and runners are extremely sociable. And a lot of the products they buy are, are found out about through word of mouth, yeah. actually. 
So a lot of the marketing will be organic. And another interesting fact is that sev over 75% of cyclists get their information from blogs. Now we've already out, uh, made significant outreach to bloggers mm -hmm. all across North America. Right now, I believe we have about four. We have access to four million readers of blogs in North America. So, of course, um, those bloggers will be reporting upon our company and our product and our progress as we as we grow as a company. And uh, that's one of the prime ways we'll we'll get the um, we'll get the illumination on the product. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a it's a sound strategy, and you don't have to go and spend billions of dollars on advertising to get this into people's yeah. hands. The other interesting thing is that uh, I, sh I shouldn't. I was going to say surprisingly, but it's actually not surprising. Uh, a lot of these high tech writers are very much into sports. They're they're actually athletes. You might think of computer geeks as sitting in you know, sitting on their chair all day, but most of these guys are very active, and they take a great interest in products like Leo, especially when they see the benefit attention from from some high-end publications I'll, I'll leave the exact publications for uh, for when they publish but you'll see us out there for sure and and you know, my last question here uh, it, it's it's really you know I, why Ottawa you, you know um, I know that you live here but is is being here does it matter where you are when you're building a company like this it matters uh, Ottawa has its challenges that's for sure nobody would deny that um, there's not too much in the Ottawa area to look to in terms of uh, business-to-consumer companies. Mm -hmm. There are there are a few, and those few that are here have been successful. So maybe I'll just say, why not Ottawa? That's a good answer to me. That that's that's a great answer. I, I think that that's um, you know, it, it shows that this world that is kind of is a level playing field to be able to take a product like this to market. It doesn't matter if you're in Ottawa or Silicon Valley. So hopefully you stay in the city because it yeah, could we had. We had some concerns about finding the talent, yeah, and uh, those concerns evaporated very quickly. Good, 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 good. All right, listen, Len, if if there was a the talent is the talent is very good in Ottawa. I know there's a slight delay in what we're talking about here, so we're overlapping each other. But um, if there was, aside from what you're building right now, what's the inspiration? What what's inspired you that you've seen out there in the marketplace or in a book or uh, you know on television? The things that that keep you going, the thing that inspires you as an entrepreneur. Wow, that's a tough question. I, I can't even answer that question. Why not? On the spot. Come on, like you know, is there a service out there that you thought, holy cow, like I, I wish I invented that. You know, and and as you were going through the the ideation or the gestation of just your logic, was was yep. there something that like what I, I got to know what was the catalyst for you to do this? Like, not that the product was cool, because a lot of people sit there and think, you know, I got this great idea, and it stays as an idea, but something had to have triggered for you uh, that this is something that you wanted to build. No, I've always wanted to uh, to do a startup. Uh, I believe that good technology should remain in academia it should be brought outside but if you want to know a company for example that I look up to it would definitely be Apple I, I think that they're a great company an innovative company they put a high emphasis on design and one of our first hires was an industrial designer she's been marvelous she's um, she's guided everything from the band the band design to the user interface the user experience it'll all flow together and it's because we've taken design good design into account from day one and I can say that that was um, influenced by Apple See, that wasn't that hard, was it? 
No. You, you found something there. And I think that, you know, I, a good design makes it great. And, and uh, you know, we talked before we did this uh, this episode and we talked about the makeup of your team, right? So you talk about the, the data scientists and the engineers that you need, but you've also got this layer of social that you've created, right, in, to help you marketing. You understand these great pieces that are required that, it, you know, it's not just about engineering. It is about design and it is about social. So, you know, I think that how, how much do you think you've matured as a business person since you started this company? Oh, it's impossible to calculate because when you start at zero and you go to something, it's infinite, right? Yeah. I'll give you that. All right, so where, do, where can people find out a little bit more information about what you're up to? So we have a corporate website. That's gesturelogic.com. But I think most people would be more interested in the product website for Leo. So that's at leohelps.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you do a search for hashtag leohelps. Perfect. Perfect. So leohelps.com, that's exactly how it sounds, leohelps.com, or gesture logic, gesture, G-E-S-T-U-R-E, logic.com. You can find out more information about these guys. And then look for them on Indiegogo when they launch, which will be imminent. So go to indiegogo.com and uh, do a search for it. Do you think it'll be under Leo Helps? It's under Leo Helps, most likely. All right. So go and take a look at that. And of course, you can always reach out to them. There's uh, links all over their website to, to ask questions. But do, do us and do them a favor. Just go and uh, and actually pre-order this, this product if you are, in fact, an athlete or a uh, runner or a biker. And when you do, just, you know, if you could flip line a note and say, listen, I heard about you through Untether.tv. That'd be the greatest thing ever for me anyways, even if it's just one or two products. Um, I, lo I love to hear from people. Please. Then, then how, can I get in touch with you directly? Just yes, from the website? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Well, we have been speaking with fellow Ottawaan, that is Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, uh, Len McEachern, who is the president and CEO of a company called Gesture Logic. Their first product is coming out. It's called Leo at leohelps.com. Len, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I'm so impressed. I've learned a ton. Thank you for actually answering every question that I had and then some shows uh, your patience with me and I appreciate you uh, being on Untether.tv. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Millie, Rob. And by the way, you'll be um, number one on our beta list, beta testers. I can't yeah. wait. I gotta come and, I'm going to get a tour of the lab. I'm in the same city. we got to do this. So definitely, yeah. I'll be there. I, and I'll be sorely disappointed by my ability to uh, to run. You'll, you'll see. I'm a terrible No, we'll, we'll put you on the training cycle. Oh, my God. We'll, we'll put you through the uh, Tour de France uh, course. Oh, nice. I'll, I'll film that as I keel over. It'll be the last thing that I do. Um, hey, listen, folks, you out there listening, watching, if you made it this far into the episode, I know that you love me. You really love me. So thank you for coming back. And thank you for being a part of Untailer.tv. If you have a moment... Wherever you got this podcast, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or from wherever, there's got to be a rating system there. That if you could, if you've enjoyed this, give this a rating, five stars or greater. If you don't like it, reach out to me at robinontelly.tv. You can unsubscribe from everything if you don't like it. But it's if you made it this far, I'm, I know that you found some value. So thank you for sticking around, and Len, thank you for doing this. We will see you all next time on Untether.tv. Thanks, Len. Thank you.